Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A dream for many people today is finding a piece of land off in a beautiful, secluded place to call home, to get away from the ever-growing, faster pace of the world. Each and every one of the people who share this dream have their own reasons for it. And the Weaver family was no different when they bought their 20-acre dream property. However, as time unfolded, this dream property would become a home of a nightmare shootout as a group of military men slowly infiltrated their lives and opened fire. This is the story of Ruby Ridge. My name's Ben. And I'm Nicole, and you're listening to Wicked and Grim. A true crime podcast. season is over and it's officially 2024 that's wild oh happy new year <laughs> i had to like force that out of nicole i was pointing at her for a minute she's well, like what's going like, on i'm a little bit i have a little bit of a cold and so i was just like not present and i had no idea what the frig was going on <laughs> well when someone says it's the new year generally it's followed yeah. up with a happy new year yeah generally i suppose i was giving you that opportunity and you just like gave me a I was dead stared glare. at you like huh <laughs> you guys won't know the awkwardness that happened because it was so awkward and blank that i'm going to be editing it but <laughs> it was just silence for like 30 seconds as nicole stared at me and i silently tried to give her hints to say happy new year oh my gosh <laughs> okay i should be in bed so you just, should be clearly just bear with me please i should be in bed too i've been just working my ass off today non-stop you that, have yeah you've done good but that's besides the point you guys don't want to hear stories of working her butts off that's no fun no you want to hear stories of true crime and stories of people being assholes to people i guess because, to other people because they suck to humanity to humanity yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, and some people are getting a little extra of those stories are our patrons. Mm -hmm. So over on Patreon this week, we had Julian, I'm uh, sorry, Julian Santos and Michelle Smith both sign up. They're getting extra episodes behind the scenes, all that good stuff over on Patreon. If you want to sign up, link is down below. If you don't, Hey, that's totally cool. You're here. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And do you want to just drop what episode? We just dropped for our patrons. Uh, I certainly can. It was the murder of Kimberly Cates. Mm, it it's, was really disturbing. It's to a be doozy. Honest. That one's yeah. a doozy. Yeah. To be fair, today's episode here that you're about to listen to is a doozy too, but just in a whole other sense. That one was just murderous and 
what the fuck. Yeah. And this one's more like conspiracy sort of situation. Okay. But it's still, trust me. A what this, the fuck? This is a wild ride, this one today too. Um, but before we get into that, we still have a bunch of other stuff that we got to talk about. Particularly um, some of the stuff going on over on our YouTube. Mm-hmm. Because Wicked and Grim will soon be in video form over on our YouTube channel. So you will be able to not only listen to our podcast every Tuesday, but in the days following it, we will then upload a video form of it so you can watch us behind the scenes in our tiny home do it as well. Our reactions to what is going on. Yeah. Which is kind of cool, but also kind of sad because to be honest, half the time when we're recording, I literally look like I am a homeless person. So do I. So I feel like I will have to at least like put a bra on and stuff. Nah, you're good. You're good. <laughs> I don't think people care what we look like. They just want to, you know, enjoy the the part of being there. Because I know. If I'm being honest, I think part of our podcast is like, we like you guys to feel like you're sitting here having a drink, talking exactly. or chatting with us. Yeah. So if we put it in video form, I think it's going to add to that experience even more. Well, I didn't say I was going to get all dolled up. I was just going to put a bra on. So, you know. <laughs> Isn't that getting dolled up? <laughs> Um, we also had some pretty cool stuff going over on YouTube um, in preparation for starting to post. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a vlogmas, mm-hmm. which we mentioned a little bit. Yeah. So we, I think we ended up getting 14 or so videos. We wanted to get like the whole month, but I mean, it was still a win because we went 14 more videos than we usually do in a month. So. Exactly. So that's a win. Yeah. It was fun. You should go check those videos out. Um, it was fun. All you have to do is look up a wicked life. Um, that's where we'll be uploading everything. If you don't want to look it up, Hey, link is in the description of this podcast right here. There you go. With all of that being said, are you ready? I'm ready for the Ruby Ridge incident. I think so. I don't think you are. (laughs) That was a song. (laughs) I resisted every urge to start singing. What what song? What? I don't think you're ready for this. Oh God. (laughs) I don't think you're ready for this. My body too bootylicious for you, babe. (laughs) Is that the song you're talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you are ready for this, Um, (laughs) but I will forewarn everyone. This is a two parter. Mm. So this is the first part to the Ruby Ridge incident, because there is a whole slew. I if honestly, if we did like a serious deep dive on this, we could probably have like a five, six, seven part series. It is a massive thing. Really? Because there's allegations left, right and center. He said, she said, this isn't true, but this is like, it's wow. It is a wild rabbit hole. A lot of it is like circumstantial or it's allegations and there's no real evidence for it. So it's just, yeah, I'm trying to stick to all the facts on this one. There are some situations where we have to go with like the allegation stuff for what certain people claimed how it happened um, because we just have no other way to go. So we just kind of go with the most accepted route of mm. that story. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but we are sticking with as much of the facts as we can in this. So with all of that, you ready for it? I'm ready. Okay. Well, let's start the Ruby Ridge incident. So. Ruby Ridge is a place that is situated in the south southernmost section of a group of ridges extending east of the bottleneck slash Roman nose mountain range towards the Kootenai River. Caribou Ridge lies to the north with the Ruby Creek draining the area between them. Now, the term Ruby Ridge was coined by the press to describe the events that transpired on the property situated on Caribou Ridge in the Boundary County of Idaho. 
This location is approximately 30 minutes, sorry, 30 miles south of the Canadian border of British Columbia. Okay. I'm not going to lie, but I thought Ruby Ridge was a person. Nope. Ruby Ridge okay. is a location. Okay. Yeah, most certainly a location. Now, this story encompasses an individual by the name of Randy Weaver. Now, Randy was born in Villisca, Ohio in 1948, and he had a unique life journey. After graduating high school in 1966, he initially enrolled in community college and met his future wife, Vicki Jordison. Despite successfully completing a Green Beret training, which is a division of a particular badass special forces in the United States military um, in preparation for deployment in Vietnam. So like just to clarify, Green Berets are like some of the most badass special forces like mm -hmm. in the world. Okay. Like they are badass. Like that's the, all I can say to describe them because they're fucking badass. Hmm. Like these are the kind of guys that like sneak up on dudes in the middle of the night and like slice them open and keep going on with like not even the thought like the mission sort really of hey like oh, yeah. laser focus kind oh of, yeah. yeah like they're machines so he successfully completed that green beret training um, and randy was stationed in fort bragg north carolina and was discharged in 1971 without ever seeing combat okay yeah now in that same year as his discharge randy married the love of his life vicky and the couple settled in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Due to financial constraints, Randy dropped out of Northern Iowa University and the couple worked various odd jobs to make ends meet, which I think is rather relatable, especially mm -hmm. in today's society and totally. all the increase in prices this past year or two. Yeah, the cost of living is outrageous. It's wild. Now, throughout their life, Randy and Vicki Weaver maintained a close relationship with their spiritual beliefs, referring to God as Yahweh or Yahweh. I'm not sure how you pronounce that exactly. Um, I'm assuming maybe Yahweh, but either way, um, and studying the Bible nightly. In the 1970s, influenced by the Arab-Israeli war, they were beginning to become convinced that a biblical doomsday and prophecies were unfolding. And soon, the end of the world would be coming. Oh, that's like terrifying, though. Can you imagine actually thinking for one reason or another, whether it's um, religious beliefs or just personal beliefs, that the end of the world is legitimately coming? Mm -hmm, but you've convinced yourself that. Like, I, would, I mean, I feel like there's enough stresses in the world. I would rather live in ignorance where I don't see it coming. <laughs> and kind it's of. just like over. I agree, actually. Uh, at least that way I can just, I don't know. As the saying goes, ignorance is bliss, right? Mm -hmm. So Yeah. Um, now, Vicky actually even shared a reoccurring dream with Randy, one where she had been envisioning a mountaintop retreat where their family would be safe from the impending evil of the apocalypse. Now, this dream and belief uh, led the Weavers to plan for their future, with Randy acquiring weapons they deemed necessary for family protection during the apocalypse or armageddon right in 1982 the weavers welcomed their third child rachel and the following year they sold their possessions and home and began seeking guidance from the amish community on living without electricity they then purchased 20 acres of land on the now known ruby ridge area of northern idaho and built a rudimentary cabin without electricity or running water here 
they began their life in the wilds of the mountain and Vicky homeschooled their children, a practice that was actually a violation of law in Idaho. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Huh. So that they're like going full out into the wild yeah. up on top of this like mountainous ridge and just they're doing it. Huh. I mean, yeah, the thought of living without like electricity and water. I mean, I get electricity in a sense, but water, like, gosh, that seems so difficult. That's a life necessity. You need that. Yeah. Without water, you're you're dead. Yeah. I mean, I can last probably twice as long without water, or sorry, without electricity than water. Like yeah. if, if I'm dead within 10 days without electricity, it's going to be 20 days without internet before I die. Oh my gosh. Jeez. Are you sure about that? Yeah, maybe 18, 16, somewhere in there. <laughs> I need the internet. I love me some memes. You sure do. <laughs> Plus, how would we upload a podcast? I know. That's true. Yeah. Now, over time, the Weavers integrated themselves into the local community as well in the surrounding area, even taking in a troubled teenager into their home by the name of Kevin Harris. Okay, that's yeah. nice. Life in their home was mostly smooth for the Weavers, but... Perfection took a hit in 1984 when Randy Weaver and his neighbor Terry Kinnison found themselves in a dispute over $3, a $3,000 land deal. Now, after losing the subsequent lawsuit, Terry was ordered to pay the Weavers an additional $2,100 in court costs and damages, um, which, of course, soured the relationship at least even further. Well, yeah, I guess, especially back then, that's a big chunk of money. Oh, yeah, this is 84. Yeah. So we're talking he owed them a total of $5,100. Okay. I imagine that's probably somewhere in the vicinity of 20 to 30 grand or something like that today. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's significant for sure. Now, in the aftermath of this, math of this dispute, Terry allegedly took revenge on writing letters to the FBI, uh, sorry, the FBI, the Secret Service, and the county sheriff accusing Randy Weaver of threatening to kill Pope John Paul II, oh. President Ronald Reagan, and Idaho Governor John V. Evans. Seriously? Just making up this shit? Allegedly. Okay. Okay. Allegedly. But still, that's some, that's some allegations right there. Definitely. And I mean, these are serious allegations that would prompt some serious response. Well, yeah, very much so. Um, now, this led to an investigation launched by the FBI and the Secret Service in January of 1985 into the claims of threats against these officials. So I'm going to go on the record here of my own opinion, saying that the FBI and Secret Service are launching an investigation into the claims of these threats. Clearly, these claims and threats existed yeah for one reason or another however they existed these claims that he was threatening these inv individuals are real but i mean gosh it's such i mean it's not really something they can let go i suppose but then also that's kind of scary that someone can just i don't know slander you like that kind of you know well slander only goes so far too right and I mean, we see that today on the internet, cancel culture and stuff yeah. like that. There's people out there who would like try to cancel individuals who it's like, they didn't actually do anything. Yeah. You need some fucking evidence to do some shit. Totally. It's a matter of if you jump on the bandwagon and make the assumptions, you need the facts. And that's what the FBI and secret services were doing. They were looking in to see if there was some facts to back it up. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Now, on February 12th of that same year, Randy and his wife underwent interviews with two FBI agents, two Secret Service agents, and a Boundary County Sheriff and his chief investigator. The Secret Service had been informed that Randy was also associated with Aryan Nations, which was a white supremacist terrorist organization and had substantial weapons cached at his residence and or property. Randy denied these allegations and no charges were filed by the government. Now, while the investigation was going on, it was revealed that the Weavers had in fact actually attended the Aryan Nations meeting at Hayden Lake. Randy clarified this though. He clarified that he and his associate, Frank Kumnick, were not members, but acknowledged that Frank had an affiliation with other reported similar groups like the Covenant, the Sword, and the Arm and the Lord. So he's associated with these groups by proxy sort of thing, not oh, actually okay. being within them. Okay. But he did, in fact, attend meetings. So he's got, he's got some friends and associates within these groups. Huh. So in a proactive move, the Weavers actually filed a legal affidavit with the county courtroom on February 28th, alleging that their personal enemies were plotting to incite the FBI into attacking and killing their family. Basically, what that means is they went to the court and filed a legal document with these statements saying that these people have these people trying to do this thing. Okay, so it's kind of on record and it's like on documented. Record, documented can be used in court evidence if something occurs. Hmm. Okay. It's a legal thing that is filed away. So right now, I mean, I have to have reason to, I can't just randomly do it. But right now, if I go to the court and say, my wife is trying to kill me, I think she's trying to do this, this, this. And then a week or a month later, I die mysteriously and they think it's you. They can use that as evidence against you in court. Oh, okay. I mean, that's good that they did this then. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Now, later on May 6th, the Weavers also sent a letter a letter to President Reagan suggesting that their adversaries might have sent him a threatening letter under a forged signature, although no evidence of such a letter ever emerged. Now, to worsen the view of the Weavers on the public and the government view, in the late 1980s, media coverage began highlighting militia groups in the Northwest. The stories often featured footage of families in camouflage engaging in military-style drills with weapons. And the media portrayed these groups as radical white right-wing extremists seeking to overthrow the government, eliciting fear and anger from the public and prompting calls for congressional action. Now, whether or not true, whether anyone believed it or not, it certainly would have play, planted a, a bit of a seed in the mind of some and could have played a small part in, in things to come. Hmm. Okay, this, I think you said, mentioned this case is quite different. It's very it different. It makes you really, they like, have to use your noggin. It, it's, there's rabbit holes after rabbit yeah. holes after rabbit holes on this. And you can go for days on it. It's a major sort of conspiracy type thing huh. with a lot that's going on. Yeah. I mean, my, my gears are turning. Just listen in here. So where is your head right now in this? Oh, gosh. I don't even know if you can ask me that. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean. Well, we'll, we'll keep going. Just Yeah. Kinda, I think we need to, I need to hear a bit more. Once here. we're at the end of this episode, then maybe we'll kind of talk on our, okay. our, our thoughts and positions and see where we are. 
Um, so next up, the involvement of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, also known and how I'll refer to them from here on out, ATF, marked a crucial phase in this narrative. So the FBI and the ATF initiated operations to infiltrate militia groups, assess potential threats, and apprehend individuals engaged in illegal activities. So groups such as what Randy had mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, groups that he had ties to, mm -hmm. groups that they suspected him to be involved in, right? Now, Agent Herb Burley, I think is how you say his name. Okay. Agent Herb Burley, um, operating as undercover as Keith Fabley, established contact with Randy Weaver and cultivated a friendship under his new dis his new guise. Now, despite Randy not being a member of the targeted groups, the agent singled him out due to his respected um, the respect he commanded within his lifestyle and his connections. So over time, Randy actually developed trust with this undercover. We'll call him Kenneth. Yeah. Um, viewing him as a friend and someone he could actually trust. To say the least, the agent was certainly doing his job well. No kidding. And seeing the opportunity, he finally asked if Randy could sell him some shotguns with illegal modifications. He wanted two sawed-off shotguns to be specific. Oh my gosh. Yes. So this is all he's baiting them, is what yeah. he's doing. It's kind of sad, really, because here he like thinks he's a new little bestie, <laughs> and really, it's not at all. I think I don't. I think it's bullshit how authorities can do that, can bait kind you of. into that. Yeah, I because just, they have a relationship, and like, I mean, the friend is probably being like telling him why he needs these or why he feels he needs these, and and he's going to want to help his friend. That's yeah. what you do; you help your friends out. Yeah. So I think there there's a moral thing going on here. And I don't know. I just don't think it's fair that authorities do that. And I'm going to read a little bit more here before I really delve into why I think that. But anyways, uh, Randy initially resisted and didn't want to sell anything like that to him. Uh huh. However, Randy eventually succumbed to the persistent requests from his uh. quote, friend who claimed to be in dire need of money. And subsequently, he sold him the two sawed off shotguns shit so randy didn't want to sell them to him. no he didn't at all he needed money yeah his friend needed money and i'm not too sure exactly what the situation he was saying is going to do maybe rob a bank i don't know but randy went has these two legal very legal shotguns and sawed them off because his friend wanted them that way and then sold them to him yikes Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So I think. That's almost just setting someone up. That is. I think that's baiting. Totally. I think an individual who's undercover like that could be a part of something. Maybe he's trying to get this guy for selling illegal guns. If he can get him to legitimately sell a legal firearm to someone else and be there for it or have evidence of it, I totally think that's fine. Yeah, but, but I mean, he had to like be very persuasive. Yeah, 
Maybe Randy would never have sold any illegal firearms if it wasn't for the officer in the first place. Yeah. We don't know. Maybe the officer is what enlisted him to do an illegal activity in the first place. And he never had otherwise. We don't know that. Oh, geez. I don't Which love is, that at all. I think is greasy. I think it's baiting and I think should be illegal. Uh-huh. I agree. Yeah. Anyways, as a result, criminal charges were filed against Randy Weaver eight months after the gun transaction in October of 1989. However, Randy was presented with a deal. If he became an informant and assisted in infiltrating these groups, the charges would be dropped. Oh, gosh. You almost wonder if that was just their plan altogether then. Oh, I guarantee it was. Yeah. They're essentially blackmailing. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Okay. This just seems so dirty. Yeah. Now, despite facing the prospect of imprisonment, Randy refused to betray someone that he considered a friend and flat out declined the offer. Huh. <laughs> that's, uh, that's interesting, hey? To me, that shows Randy has better morals than the FBI. No kidding. It really shows his true colors and his character. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that Randy's a perfect individual. Don't get me wrong. No. I mean, he but... has affiliate, affiliates with anti-Semitic groups. And it's questionable at best. But at least he's willing to stick up for a friend. Yeah, he totally is. Even when his own neck's on the line. And even when he was portrayed by a so-called friend, friend, right? Yeah. Now, six months passed before a warrant was issued for Randy's arrest on the gun charges. But federal ed- agents hesitated to apprehend him at his home, deeming he was too risky due to the family's perceived readiness to resist. And I mean, he had firearms, apparently, as far as the FBI knew on his property, because he's selling illegal firearms and sawed off uh. shotguns, remember, right? Now, I mean, to be fair, he does have firearms at his property. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that he's going to just like start shooting people. Yeah. Well, they instead began to try and get creative as means to once again ensnare Randy. So what they did, they had agents pose as stranded motorists. And when they set up a bait on the side of the road where Randy would be driving by, they had him stop and try and assist them because they're stranded motorists, right? They're stranded. Their vehicles broke down sort of thing. When he stopped, they arrested him. That seems so bizarre. I don't know. This just seems so weird. That one to me doesn't seem like entrapment because it's, it's like, Hey, you're wanted. This is just a means to, to get you. Yeah. I I have no problem with that one. Well, no, I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but it just seems like it's so weird. Like that. They're just like, it's like, they're afraid of him, you know? Oh, they definitely are. They're afraid of, of what could happen. I'm sure not only because like of what he could do, but like he's got kids and stuff too, right? At his home. So, I mean, if they're going to open fire, he opens fire. Maybe he uses one as a hostage or who knows what happens. Maybe they mistake him for one of his kids and shoot a kid. Like there's, there could be innocent lives at play here. Yeah. Okay. So I can totally understand that. So Randy went and appeared before a judge who found probable cause for a trial and released him on a few conditions, you know, parole, right? Including returning to court for the trial. However, the judge misled Randy by threatening false claims that he would have to surrender his home, land, and truck if he was convicted in court. Okay. So it's like, yeah, you got to come back for your trial. And just so you know, if you're convicted, you're losing your property. Everything's gone. So then his family is just like Fuck. fucked. Yeah. Yeah. The trial was initially set for February 19th on 1991, but 
Randy's parole officer mistakenly told him that the trial instead was scheduled for March 20th of 1991. As a result, Randy Weaver failed to appear on the appointed court date, marking him as a fugitive in the eye of the United States Marshal Service, or USMS, no. who was now responsible for arresting and bringing him in. No. Yes. Yes, he's a fugitive who did not show up for his court date when he was told otherwise. Does I feel like this guy has like the worst of luck. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. Definitely. So, I mean, that's kind of the situation he's in, unfortunately. But and he's just trying to live his life. Yeah. He's just like, I'm going to buy 20 acres in the middle of nowhere and just do my own business. And then people are like, we're your business now, bitch. Like (laughs) just sticking their nose in that. Yeah. No kidding. So despite being considered a fugitive. Randy now remained holed up in his remote home, adamantly declaring his intent to resist any attempt um, for them to apprehend him or remove him forcibly. See, Randy was known for his intense distrust in the government, and I'm sure we can understand why, especially at this point. And his suspicions were compounding over time. Um, This may have played a role in his reluctance to appear for another trial as he grew increasingly suspicious of the government and his lawyer and any other law enforcement that was involved in this whatsoever. He was basically thinking that they're trying to conspire against him, which I mean, he has every right to think so. Mm -hmm. He was set up by them originally. He was then blackmailed by them, then turned them down. Then he went to court and was threatened by the judge. And then also his court date was was told to him wrong. And then he was a fugitive because he didn't show up to the court date that he was told was a different date. Yeah. Sounds like a conspiracy to me. Yeah. I mean, it's really would, easy to look at that and think it's a conspiracy. You would really be questioning a lot of things. Like I, I don't blame that. Yeah. So he was convinced that attending the trial would guarantee him would not, sorry, guarantee him fair judgment specifically. Um, he was now under the impression for the judge, like, Hey, losing his property, his wife's going to be homeless. Kids might be taken away, whatever. And despite 18 months passing with Randy still sitting in his home without government intervention, the ATF had initiated surveillance shortly after his court missed date. So what this meant, they had employed video cameras aerial photography, and even sophisticated audio system throughout Weaver's property, including speakers under his kitchen floor to spy on him at all times and whenever they wanted. How? How? What do you mean how? How do they do this? It's the government. Okay. I'm pretty sure they got bugs and everything right now. They they track us in our phones and stuff at all Uh, times. You can't tell me that we're not tracked on our phones. Google tracks us. How can the government not be? If they want to know where we are, they can ping us in an instant. Hmm. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, I told you this whole conspiracy <laughs> stuff here. No shit. I'm not sitting here saying that the FBI is watching us every second of the day, but if they want to know where we are and what they're doing, I guarantee they can fucking know. Probably. Yep. Alexa will spill her guts in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know, hey? <laughs> so that's basically what they had. They had like cameras, audio equipment, all this surveilling his property available to them whenever they needed. The marshals contemplated and discarded several plans to try and arrest Randy Weaver. They have all this equipment. 
watching them, listening, and they're trying to use it to their advantage to figure out how they can get them. Now, a lot of their ideas range from cutting the water line that they had because, hey, as we already talked, yeah. water's pretty important, right? Is this legal, may I just ask? Or well, does it matter it's the government? It doesn't matter it's the government, but also that's a lot of the reasons why they're not doing some of these things. One of the reasons that they, one of the things that they wanted to do was they wanted to capture his daughter, Sarah. <gasps> yeah. What? So listen to this. Sarah, the eldest daughter, um, their plan was during her menstrual cycle because they had a designated, quote, um, birthing shed. Now, this is a whole other thing. I'm not going to get too into it, but this is where one of the family members who, when they were experiencing their period, would go to the shed during the course of the period, um, basically because of extreme beliefs. It wasn't meant as a form of punishment, as far as I can read. It was more just for isolation purposes, but that's besides the point. Let's just leave it at that. When they had their period, the time of the month, they would go in this shed for the duration, then come back in the house afterwards. So when she was on her menstrual, when she was menstruating, they're like, she's going to be in the shed. And the objective is to apprehend one of the children when they were bringing Sarah some food, compelling Randy to finally surrender, right? This was the grand plan. However, they don't have an arrest warrant for Sarah. That's just straight up kidnapping. No kidding. <laughs> Which is yeah. like, that crime is harsher than selling an illegal firearm. No kidding. You're kidnapping a human. A kid. Yeah. Away from the family. Yeah. So I think it's pretty clear why they didn't go through with that plan. Huh. Um, but eventually the ATF formulated a reconnaissance mission plan with agents dressing in full combat gear to close in on the Weaver's property. Now, I feel it's important to mention that all the authorities were aware of something here. The marshals observed that Randy and his family responded to vehicles and other visitors by taking up armed positions with guns around the cabin until the visitors were recognized and the situation was deemed safe. Oh, okay. I mean, for some reason, when you just announced that, I visualized us doing something <laughs> like that, which is really wow. something. Wow. I don't know, because I we both think that people are just crazy from doing this podcast right so i mean like, oh someone's coming down the driveway get my gun <laughs> well i mean i've always been one of those people though if i don't know if someone's coming they knock on the door i don't open the fucking door there's I mean, no way i can respect that though there's a lot of messed up shit going on in this world and if someone figures out that you're home alone or a situation like that you can get taken advantage of in a heartbeat yeah so. I mean, people lots of times, like there's people that pose to be other individuals, even like law enforcement, right? And yeah, so it's just scary. Yeah. Um, but that is next level. It definitely is. But and the authorities were aware of this. Okay. They, they witnessed it firsthand. I'm sure that this happened to them as they're coming up to the property to discuss things. Because I, I guarantee like this, there was certain situations where they're coming up and they're, they're talking verbally, like they're trying to work things out. Mm -hmm. I guarantee it time yeah. and time again, they're like, Hey, you want, you, you have a warrant out for your rest. Can you come with us? It's like, no, I'm not fucking leaving the cabin. Right. Okay. We're going to go. You got to come in. It's like, no, I'm not leaving. So, and then they're trying to figure out ways still talking to him. I mean, like a lot of times going by. Yeah. There's certainly going to be conversations one way or another. You have to wonder how many guests they ended up having over friends and stuff. You know, <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. I don't think I would ever go visit the Weavers. No kidding. Um, so anyways, they, they knew that they acted this way. They knew the weavers were armed and they were willing to defend themselves. This was not new information. 
Now, on August 21st, 1992, six marshals were sent to scout the area to determine suitable places away from the cavern to try and apprehend and arrest Randy. The marshals were dressed in full military camouflage ghillie suits. Do you know what a ghillie suit is? I do, actually. Okay, so if anyone out there doesn't know what a ghillie suit is, it's when those guys are dressed head to toe in like that Chewbacca looking mm -hmm. like forest gear. They, they look like they're a bush just sitting there. That's what they were wearing. These full ghillie suits. They were equipped with night vision goggles and M16 rifles. Full-fledged military gear. They meant business. They meant business. They were prepped. Now, at one point, one of the marshals, as they were encroaching in the cabin, threw two rocks at the cabin to test the dogs, the family dog's reaction. Now, the action actually provoked the dog. It also got Kevin Harris and the 14-year-old son, Samuel or Sammy, um, to emerge and follow the dog whose name was Stryker. Now, the dog was Stryker and was a yellow Labrador retriever. So they followed the dog to investigate what's going on. Now, each boy had a rifle in hand, and they were hoping that the dog had noticed a game animal outside and that they intended to, you know, do a bit of hunting. This is a, you know, a rural area with a living off the land type family and property. I'm pretty sure that's what they do is they, they hunt for a lot of food, right? So that's what they're doing. Going outside, going to do a bit of hunting. However, what waited outside their home was not an animal, and the ensuing moments all hell would break loose. And that's where we're ending today's episode. You're serious. I'm serious. Okay, who the fuck was going outside? Two kids, right? Yes. So the okay. one the one troubled kid who was taken in by the family. Oh, okay. Okay. So Kevin Harris was that one. And the 14-year-old son, Sammy, aka, or sorry, Samuel, aka Sammy. And their dog. And their dog striker, who was a yellow Labrador retriever. Huh. Okay, I cannot envision this ending well. No? How do you think it's going to end? What's your whole thought process on this so far? Well, one question I have is like, was were these, I don't know what we're calling it, but these people in ghillie suits, were at that moment, were they, were they just testing or were they literally ready to, to go? Like they were ready to go. Oh, they're ready to go. But they're were, ready to go if they need to. Were they intending at that moment not really to go to be arresting Randy though. No, the entire purpose of this was it was a reconnaissance mission. Okay, because I'm just curious if they thought that through with the whole rock thing and stuff like this. I don't know. This I just can't. This isn't good. No. So the the entire idea is they're they're surveilling the property both with video, audio, and aerial photography and stuff. Right. Yeah. Now they're putting guys in the ground. They're going around the property. They're surveilling, trying to get information on not only the property, but the, the cabin itself, the family itself, what they're, they're doing. They're trying to get anything they can to say, hey, here's an opportunity for us to actually arrest this guy. So while they're on the property, one of the reconna reconnaissance thing that this guy's doing is like, hey, what's the dog's reaction? Jeez. Let's see. Well, I think that the dog is easily going to be able to sniff them out. And then these kids who are seemingly living a pretty sheltered life, really, and have, you know, their the way of their dad kind of ingrained, ingrained them. on them. It's so shit. Like, yeah. oh. Well, as I said, all hell does break loose. And yeah, this is kind of a, a recipe for disaster in this moment. 
especially with all the things that have built up to this, because I'm pretty sure, like you said, their dad's way is ingrained in them. Mm -hmm. Not only is their dad's way ingrained in them, but they're witnessing firsthand these military men, probably as far as they're assuming, harassing their family, harassing their dad. Like I said, I guarantee these guys are driving up to the front door, at least to have conversations, right? And now they're there in the night. Yeah. I mean, anyone would be really alarmed over that. Yeah. Or even put it this way. Take that all out of perspective. Put yourself in the shoes of these kids. You know nothing of the military. You know nothing of your dad's pers perspective of life. You know nothing. Nothing of him is ingrained in you. It's just you on your property outside to go, I don't know, shoot a rabbit for dinner with your dog. And you see military men crawling through the bush on your property. How do you think that's going to go? Well, I know. And you're not even certain that it could be military. You, men, you don't. You don't you know. You don't know. You just see camouflage dudes Ugh. with rifles crawling through your property. Oh, gosh. I don't even know what I would do. But I mean, it, yeah. But as of this point, though, these kids do not see them. The dog does not see them. They, however, do see these kids and the dog. And they are very well aware. And uh, we will cover the rest of what happens in the next episode in part two next time huh so nicole is in shock and awe here <laughs> i know sorry i in my brain like i said it's it's going a mile a minute right now this is a very the fact that i have to wait a week is such a piss off right I'm now i'm sorry i'm sorry that's how <laughs> it goes sometimes it's the name of the game it is the name of the game um sorry for making you guys wait a week if you are one of those people because i know some of you out there actually wait a week to listen to this episode so you can listen to both episodes back to back you're not waiting a week the episode's already out and you're listening to it in about 30 seconds time if you are waiting a week i'm sorry but trust me it's worth the wait mm -hmm. thank you for being here if you want to check out any of our links below like our youtube where you will be able to soon watch wicked and grim actually on video behind the scenes um link is for our youtube down below we do some blog stuff there as well we have facebook we have instagram we have our patreon you can sign up get extra content there too if you want to just stay here and chill with us we're happy with that as well mm -hmm. the youtube thing is going to be cool because i mean what you'll know if i'm quiet it's because my jaw is literally on the ground yeah seeing oh. the reactions is is something else yeah um you will see nicole Either her mouth is wide open because she's just like in shock and awe or her hand is covering her mouth. <laughs> and usually I am doing frantic hand motions and gestures. You are actually. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, okay. thank you guys so much for being here. And until next time. Stay wicked. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 